Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. Roses. So today's show is all about roses. And Chris, where do roses come from? They come, well, they originated from China, but now can be found absolutely everywhere. They're worldwide now, aren't they? A bit like our potato that we talked about a few few months ago. Indeed, yes. And uh, roses have taken quite an interesting journey over the years, of course. Uh, Famously... Uh, with the the War of the Roses. Yes, definitely. That was Lancaster and Yorkshire, wasn't it? The... That's right. Yeah, yeah. Almost, we could we almost go into a cricket mode here, couldn't we? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yes, basically, that was in it was in the fourteen uh, hundreds when the the famous war of between the House of Lancaster, which obviously was represented by the Red Rose, and York represented by the White White Rose, famously called, called obviously the War of the Roses. Uh, but then they. The, the rose were joined, basically, to create the Tudor rose, which, of course, is the Rose of England. Yeah, and that's got something to do with our flag as well, hasn't it? The white and the red, and that's Indeed. where the colours come from on the flag, I, I believe. I yes. don't know if that's yeah. correct. Yeah, but. so roses have, have had quite a, a big influential part on the, on our history. And they've been used in medicines, I know, sort of back in, um, I think it's the 7th century. The Middle East was famous for sort of using um, roses for medicine, and um, they've also been part of our diet. I mm. understand you can eat roses, or rose petals, petals even. Yes. And obviously, more recently, um, since we've learned how to distill things, rose water has um, become quite a popular scent. And that's used in, like I say, sort of skin tonics mm. and things like that. And the, the scent of roses is certainly something I always think of when I think of rose, yeah. roses. And childhood-wise, yeah, creating your own rose water was sort of part of the parcel of uh, growing up, wasn't it? And perhaps a good thing to be getting involved in during these, these summer holidays, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. So on our podcast today, we're going to be joined by James Taylor and Joe Davey from Wharton's Roses. And we're going to be looking at all the aspects of growing roses commercially and obviously some really good tips on how to get the best of roses from our gardens. But I suppose, Peter, when we, we, we talk about roses, there's just so much terminology to be had, isn't there? Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, I've learned masses about things like budding and rootstocks. Mm. And, I mean, where do we start? Some of the the, the terms used in, in, in the interview are, are quite technical. So, yeah, please bear with us if you've not come across them before. But I guess it gives us an opportunity to go through where do all plants start in the roots. So talk about rootstocks, Chris. What's a rootstock? So a rootstock basically is a variety or a species which has been developed to allow the variety which you're going to graft onto to grow really well so it's got lots of vigor um, as we we hear uh, one of the the rose um, rootstocks they use is uh, rosa laxa which basically doesn't get any suckers it grows really well and it prov- provides the perfect root system for the the varieties you're going to graft onto to perform well so they're not quite the same as apples, where most apples are grown on quince rootstocks. They're actually grown on rose rootstocks, but they're just very vigorous rose rootstocks. That, that's it, yes. And I'm... another thing that I'd never heard of before, um, the term briar. Yes. I mean, rose sweet briar is mm. a one that I know rose, a, a, yeah, yeah. as a mail order it's a bare root yeah. plant, but a briar is another well, term. Yeah, so if, if you have a briar on your rose, generally that's a sucker. So, okay. a, so a briar will form on certain rootstocks, which are very apt at producing these these nasty suckers. They used to be really 
a, a major problem in growing because if you remember maybe 20, 30 years ago, you were forever desuckering your roses. So this is when you get the shoot which grows from the uh, where the, the, the graft happens, the little sort of knobbly bit on your, your stem grows below that and produces a long shoot. And often the, the briar would have, uh, it would be paler in colour and also it wouldn't have as many or could have more leaves than the variety you're trying to grow as well. So that would have to be removed. Now, removing briars uh, basically means taking them as the smaller size as possible. So normally the, the, the advice is to very carefully, using a pair of gloves, uh, basically pull uh, with a sharp tug to remove the briar so it comes away from the stem. Uh, okay. as, as close to the stem as possible. If you try and cut the briar, of course, then you're leaving some of the stem to regrow, which, of course, will form another another briar. So you've got to really chop it out or yeah, yeah, tuck it, it out, it out yeah. well, ideally, that's, if you that's can. It, yeah. and, uh, but um, you just don't seem to get the problem with, with suckering these days, you know, with newer varieties or newer newer plants you're buying from, from garden centres because they're using this, this wonderful laxer form. Um, and it was uh, Rosa Canna, which was, of course, the dog rose, which, was, which actually created all these problems many, many years ago for us. But that's how horticulture moves on, isn't it? We find yep. better varieties. But it just means that your variety, so if it's your Arthur Bell or your Arthur, uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of a good variety, like your Timeless or your, your wonderful um, ground cover roses uh, you might grow, don't get suckers. It's because of the, the, the fantastic varieties of, of, uh, of, of rootstock which are being employed by the growers today. Okay. And then moving up from the rootstock, obviously we're talking about grafting, mm. Um, mm. which is where you chop the top of the plant yeah. off and stick a new bit of plant on yeah. um, from another uh, selected variety. Mm -hmm. And that's called budding, isn't yeah. it? That, that That's what's referred to as budding. budding. And then I think specifically it's called tea budding because literally you cut uh, the tea into the stem okay. and you pull back the the parts of the tea from the from the stem and then you insert the obviously the variety um the, the, if you like the cyan wood yep. the variety into there and that process is obviously done quite quickly quite efficiently uh, it's done at this time of the year for obvious reasons because the plants have to be in active growth for them to completely uh, uh, obviously take you, know, you have to have that that sort of warmth of the the sunshine of summer and the autumn for that to, to happen unlike your uh, your apple trees which of course we do in the winter where the sap flow is just beginning to start okay and just thinking about the sort of the bud that you're mm. putting on roughly how long is that chris is, is that literally just a, a couple of millimeters yeah. a bud or yeah, is it a uh, a sort of twig <laughs> yeah so they would prepare the 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 buds they'd have somebody going along let's say they work in, in a pair and they were producing the, the the buds ready to drop into that tea bud uh, so the process is quite succinct and uh, well, if we could we, we, hopefully for our podcast show notes we'll try and find a little video to show that because i think it's quite an important little process um to to, to describe really Brilliant. So just thinking, there's lots of different types of roses, aren't there, Chris? You've got your climbers, your shrub roses, your bush roses, your ground cover roses. I mean, even hedging hedging roses that we sell bare-rooted in the winter. Talk me through those a little bit, can you? Yeah, so if you think about the archetypal um, Valentine's rose, um, that's okay. the beautifully yep. formed 
hybrid T. So that's the HT rose. So that's yep. that's the one we tend to think. And uh, it's you know it's you usually it produces a you could grow it as a bush rose. Often they're grown as standards as well, so they can be grown on a, a long stem. Yep. Of, um, obviously very popular these days, or coming back into popularity. They used to be incredibly popular a few years ago, um, and they usually have a decent size flower, and often they're fragrant as well. So that's yep. your your good old Valentine's rose as your HT. Then you've got uh, a rose called a Floribunda. Now, that's had a bit of a name change. It's more commonly called in the gardening world is a cluster flowered. So okay. so basically these produce flowers in trusses. Yep. And basically, very beautifully, you find that one flower opens after another, so they don't open all at the same time. So cluster flowered roses tend to flower over a longer period, uh, which is which is good. And again, you can get a wide range of varieties and lots of scent with those as well. And then you, you talk about the smaller, more compact varieties. The patio roses have become hugely popular. Only grow, what, 45 centimetres, 18 inches tall, so perfect for containers, for window boxes. I mean, I've seen um, patio roses grown in, in hanging baskets. They can be okay. grown that, that compact. So they could be your sort of focal point in a hanging basket or a planted container. Yes. And then you could put some nice trailing plants around the edge to... Sort of really set the set the the pot off. Why not? Yeah, and, and especially if you choose the varieties which repeat flower, which is obviously a term when we're choosing roses. We always look for the word repeat flower because it means it's going to flower at least twice through the through the growing season. Yep. Um, and then we've got the um, the miniature roses. Um, those generally are even more compact than the patios, and they're the varieties you might see in the houseplant department. Okay, um, so and they're not so fragrant, are they? They're just grown to be. Beautiful little Indeed. bushes, yes, and yeah. they're, they're, they're nice, pretty little things, aren't they? That's right, yeah, and uh, they do. Well. And they, as I say, they they usually you can. I mean, sometimes you can grow those in alpine beds, and uh, I mean, in, in, in sink gardens, you can grow them in very small containers. So they're perfect for that. You've got then the ground cover roses. So these used to be incredibly popular for basically. Um, covering soil as a ground cover suppressant so using a plant to cut the weeds down to uh, obviously keep uh, the soil weed free and to create this sort of blanket effect okay. um, becoming more popular again we had a, a few years ago the the county series of of, um, of of ground cover roses which are still available but now they've been taken over um, by obviously some new, more more recent introductions and i think uh, joe in the the chat coming upon the podcast talks about those in, in quite a bit of detail yeah. um, and then we've got climbers and ramblers they're yeah. they're the yes yeah, so they're the stars of the of the garden becoming more popular because of the fact that they produce a decent framework now a, a climber tends to be pruned or trimmed back every year to encourage it to produce new shoots which carry flowers so you can have a climber that's sort of six, eight feet, which can look spectacular. A rambler, as the name suggests, is allowed to grow ad infinitum. It'll grow everywhere. Okay, because I think um, my mother's got some rambling uh, roses growing up at a, a tree. I mean, mm. the, it, the stems on them must be, I want to say, three inches across. And she reckons they've been there a good 20, 30 years. And occasionally you see a flower, sort of, I want to say, 20, 30 foot up in the tree. <laughs> and it's really interesting. that they're, they're not sort of parasitic or they're not, um, they don't damage trees per se, do they? No. They're, they're quite gentle they plants to grow in in conjunction uh, with uh, with the trees 
if you've got a, a large tree or trees, um, they're perfect for going up into that that, that space. Um, Kifsgate is uh, one particularly good variety, often recommended. One we obviously sell at the garden centre here, and, and garden centres generally, it's always the, the go-to. And there's one called Wedding Day, which is an amazing rose. That That's a white, single-flowered rambler, but that will go 18, 20 feet maybe. Okay. And uh, no, rambling roses, uh, no, obviously we sell bare root roses here in, in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like, I'm just thinking dog rose and mm-hmm. um, Rosa Ragosa. Yeah. Are they ramblers or are they they're climbers or what are they? Are they natives? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they're sort of species roses. That's, right. That's, yeah, so they can be grown as a hedge line. Uh, as a, you can add those to your, your mixed native hedge if you want to add a lot of uh, colour and hip colour during the, the autumn or winter provide some food for the wildlife as well yep. or you might want to grow them like i do in my garden i've got rosa, uh, rosa rugosa dotted around the garden just to give me bits of color at this time of the year and i'd just love the hips for the wildlife so you can actually use them ad hoc within the garden if you've got a mixed border then you know rosa canna the dog rose looks really good with its amazing rose hips in the in the autumn so very uh, adaptable obviously native species so they love our climate and they certainly enjoy plenty of, of, of moisture as well and if you're growing them in the hedge line obviously great burglar didn't it deterrent and um, <laughs> yes. predators didn't it deterrent they, they got some good thorns on them from memory they have indeed and certainly will keep the uh, yeah obviously the aphids they have at this time of year perfect for the for the young uh, fledglings to to feed upon or the the mother birds to use on there and of course then for providing some wonderful food later on for the uh, for our feathered friends later in the season yeah because thinking back to my mail order days when i was um picking the roses out of the field the burnet rose or rosa spinoza um that was our Ooh, that's a nasty one <laughs> no one ever wanted to have to get an order with that in because yeah. yeah that's a real burglar deterrent if ever i saw one isn't it but thinking about um sort of the the, the properties of roses i mean obviously that they have lovely smells and they have glorious flowers um but they're also very good for bees aren't they chris and there's some certain ones that are Mm. very well known for attracting bees should we say that's right yeah so when you look at the the sort of the typical garden roses you know we would be selling for ornamental use um they all obviously produce quite tight blooms you want basically varieties which open out and expose their uh, their centre parts of the plant for the for the pollen and for the stamens. So really, we've got to look at those uh, more native species. So your, your Rosa rugosas, uh, whether that's white or pink or red, uh, your dog roses, um, yeah, your Rosa spinosas. You mentioned anything which has a very open flower. I think there's a geranium called uh, sorry, yeah, there's a the, the rose geranium which is particularly nice and that has a very open flower. They're, they're going to act as wonderful magnets to your uh, to your bee population. So they're not the, dare I say, it, the F1 hybrid type ones, no, are they? They're no. the, the total opposite, these, they're the natural sort of... These are the bricks and mortar ones. of the rose world. These are the, the basics, which, of course, a lot of the rose breeding breeders use in the, the process of breeding roses anyway. So a lot of the qualities a lot of our older traditional varieties have are obviously are a part of the DNA of many of the new varieties we have in our gardens. So very important. Yeah, and there's also some hybrid roses that the bees love visiting as well, aren't there? So you know, let me just name mm. drop a few here. So mm. Morning Mist and um, 
there's also Lady's Blush and Grouse and Partridge, not Alan Partridge, just Partridge, um, and Kew Gardens, Scarborough Fair. Yeah. So there, there, there are a few. And then there's Ramblers, which obviously grow nice and large, sort of the Francis Lester, Rambling Rector, mm. Bobby James, and yeah. they're, they're, they're yeah. good for flowers they're good yep. for bees and wildlife so and a lot of those varieties you, you've mentioned there peter yeah we, we 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 yeah they're available in garden centers so they're not exclusive or elusive from the bee they're they're very much there but they're you know they're, they're probably their main property is their um their climbing habit or their flower color but they, they the great advantage of them is they're going to be good for our bee population so just thinking about all the different rose growers out there, Chris, I mean, there's the, there's lots of specialist rose nurseries, uh, the likes of Peter Beals, Harkness, Mattox, David Austin. There's, there's a lot of things involved in roses, mm. isn't there? It's not just as simple as growing certain seeds and off you go, you've got a crop of uh, roses. There's a lot of things involved, isn't there? I think the process is um, a lot of, obviously, lots of, Breeding is done under glass normally in greenhouses, and then okay. they, they obviously do then the selection of, of the seedlings, and then of course you get a, a nice plant or a number of plants. You then obviously from those take more seeds, obviously grow those on. So the process can take you know between five and seven years. So it, before you get anything which is saleable. So if you're launching a new um, rose at Hampton Court Flower Show, or sometimes at the Chelsea Flower Show, yep. that rose has, has, you know, has taken a lot of time and effort, and has, you know, has gone through many, many processes to get there. And of course, it has to be then marketed to be sold to to us as, as customers, and maybe through to garden centres as well. Because uh, I, I suppose that's why some of them are, are very expensive. I mean, the, the hedging roses that we sell are—they're just basic roses, aren't they? And um, yeah. whereas something like um, a golden jubilee or mm, something yes. like that, it's been really bred for the specific sort of flowers and the smell that it creates. And um, mm. and, and I think also a lot of roses these days are, are usually a vehicle for promotion for a, for a, for a charity. Um, so a lot of roses, like at the moment we've got the Sir Tom Moore rose, okay. which has been bred by Hartness Roses. And I think if memory serves me correctly, I think £2.50 of each of the roses sold at garden centres goes to the Sir Tom Foundation. So they're used as a vehicle to, to raise awareness. So, those sort of roses obviously do capture the, the public's imagination. I know, the, you know, the garden centre sales here have been very good of, of the Sir Tom Moore rose, but lots of other roses, you know, follow that that, that sort of trend. Um, so, yeah, never underestimate the fact that when you buy a rose, you know, it's going to be around for a long time if you look after it well. If you give it lots of TLC, lots of feed, lots of water, and it will give you many, many years of colour. And lots of fertiliser, I should imagine, yeah. as well. Cause lots <laughs> of manure, yes. Manure seems to be the most important thing with roses. You know, to, I mean, anecdotally, of course, that's more of a problem these days to get, obviously, a good uh, supply of, of, of well-rotted, probably one- to two-year-old manure to be putting on your rose beds. But certainly, it doesn't do any harm. So just thinking about the roses and where we get them from, Chris, mm. Wharton's have been a supplier of ours for many, many years now. Indeed. And they're, they're in a bit of a unique situation, aren't they? They're, they're a grower rather than a breeder. Yes, they, they are. They, um, obviously, they basically trial and select their varieties from a, a wide range of rose breeders. So they're in that unique position of basically cherry-picking the very best of what's out there in the in Europe and obviously the UK. And obviously they can then bring those on board to offer to, to us garden centres. 
Yeah. Okay, and they're a family-owned company from memory, and I think they started, was it 1947? Seven. Seven, yeah. So they're an old old established company. um, Third generation. Okay. So... Same as us, oh, then. Indeed. Yes, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you know, if they've been there that long, they should hopefully have picked up a, a few tips for us on uh, how to grow roses. Most definitely. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that will be many of the questions we'll be asking them now. Excellent. Roses remain one of the number one most popular flower, according to surveys by Gardener's World and Gardening Witch. We're delighted today to be joined by James Taylor, the nursery manager at Wharton's Roses, and Joe Davey, marketing on the uh, the roses front too. So welcome to you both on this uh, this this lovely bright day. Hello. Great stuff. Lovely. Great to hear you. Um, so probably obviously to try and sort of set the scene for our uh, for our listeners a little bit about Wharton's Nurseries. Um, where are you in the in the UK? We're in Norfolk on the Norfolk Suffolk border so we actually have uh, one site in Norfolk and one site in Suffolk so we um yeah we're regularly crossing the border but yeah in East Anglia. Excellent now for for our customers who uh, who come to to Buckingham Garden Centre of course uh, they know the Wharton's roses uh, by far um, obviously very very popular um and I suppose we perhaps we should start by saying why do you think both both uh, both James and and Joe here, why do you think roses continue to be a such a good garden favourite? Well, I think there's, there's sort of the nostalgia element. I think most people can remember roses in their, you know, their parents' gardens, their grandparents' gardens. They're, so there's that nostalgia angle. They're, they're relatively easy uh, to care for once they're established. And they come in a huge range of colours as well. So I think people can fit them into you know whatever color scheme they've got um you get various sizes so you can get little patio roses you can get climbers so they'll they'll fit into most spaces as well and of course they're hardy so wherever you are in the country you you know you can grow them mm. uh, i think so there's a few reasons for that yeah. i think also that they they give over such a, a long period uh, I just know started a new garden and uh, the, the roses which I planted are obviously outperforming shrubs at the moment because the shrubs are very, very uh, early stage. And so we're basically from May to November, uh, uh, roses will we'll, we'll, we'll be giving you something. Mm. So I, I think that's very much in their favour. Yeah. So, so James, as far as growing them, obviously that's your, your responsibility at Wharton's uh, as, as nursery manager. Now, can you again paint the picture of how roses are actually produced? Because obviously when you tend to see pictures of rose fields, that's quite different to the way people perceive them when they come into the garden centre and buy their wonderful pots of roses at this time of the year. So can you sort of explain sort of the process of, of getting a rose from the field to the pot for us? You, you're talking about the actual sort of grafting process or the actual process of selection of varieties yeah well let, let's start i suppose with the selection because i suppose it's where it, where it starts from from choosing the right road varieties so that would be good yeah if you could start us from that point that would be that would be really useful to get an idea of the the, the process well if i dive in here when um with the selection because our selection process actually starts with with trials mm-hmm. 
So we work with breeders uh, around the world, actually. So rose breeders in Germany, France, Australia. Um, and we have uh, trials both in the field and in containers. And we sort of assess them. Mm-hmm. We select the best the best performing varieties so the varieties that we think will perform well in the garden but actually also perform well in a pot so that they look they look good in the garden center so that's the first stage is is the trialing process and that can take um between sort of two two and five years depending on depending on the sort of variety um so once we've we've selected that variety obviously then it goes into production which is where James comes in. So once once we actually establish that that they they do they do well, then that's that's a matter of how much confidence we, we we've got in that variety, how how much how much we think we're going to bud. So to start with, we'll either bud fifty or we'll bud three hundred, uh, and then and then watch them. And uh, and if they if they continue to do well, then in the, the following year, that, then we then can bud into the thousands. So we're so we're basically one. But there's always there's always a surprise somewhere. So more often than not, a, a good a group good rose in the fields maybe not doesn't enjoy being in the pot. And obviously to, to you people, that's uh, obviously essential. You know, we we supply you with. Roses which are, look look good in the pots, for, for sure. Now you mentioned about uh, budding. When when would that be happening, James? When would you be doing that in the in the field? Uh, basically, as from now. Okay, so, so uh, mm-hmm. we, we are we are starting budding our standard roses tomorrow, uh, which is is late as, as the season is late this year, um, and uh, we will. Start on on our, our uh, bush stocks uh, on uh, uh, middle of next week. Okay, so these are all done in the field, so uh, far removed from when they're in the container. So h- how long from actually budding uh, the grafting process does it actually then take to get the plants to to the container? What's the sort of timeline on on that? Uh, uh, quite quite a, a long time. <laughs> a long time. You so you you you, you bud you bud in June. And July or August, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it's early August, um, and then the pro the process will be the the following September, basically when they're going into pots. Okay. Not not the, not the September you know coming to, but the the, 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 the following year. So it's probably two years yeah. from budding to arriving in the garden centre. Right. Okay. So the plants then would be. So would they be pruned in the field? Would they be trimmed back to, to sort of try and try and create a, a decent shape for the for the container? What what would be the process in that uh, that that year or the year running up to being put into a container? Do you want me to run through what we that the process is ordered? Yeah, just an idea of what what you do. It would be yeah, it would be very useful just to get an idea of of how they would be grown in the in the field. So basically. If we start with basically we prepare the land in in the autumn, uh, and then we we then plant any time through from from February right through to well this year was mid May, uh, mid May this year because we we've had a very as you know we had a very very difficult 
difficult year with the with the sort of drought mm, indeed. and then the frosts. Uh, no, an unprecedented amount of frost in, in April. So uh, we actually took, we actually we planted some, then we actually stopped, and because uh, because everything was too dry, and and then we we waited until the rains came again mm-hmm. before we before we planted the the, the last thirty uh, percent, which um, has has worked because we've certainly had plenty of rain since. Uh, after after that, we, we, now we have to not most years we have to we have to irrigate. That's when I first started working here. You know, we, we didn't know that that was that that wasn't needed. But with a, with the a changes to the seasons and changes to the weather, the the, the irrigation is now a sort of uh, a critical part of the operation, really. And uh, we've we have been irrigating our, our briars uh, to, to keep to keep keep them going, and now we had some nice rains. Now we don't need to, but we've we've had to obviously invest in quite a bit of equipment to uh, to cope mm-hmm. cope that. And with, without that, that would be very very difficult now uh, because of the, the erratic seasons. Of course, of course, yeah. Climate change is affecting all areas of, of gardening and horticulture, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, then moving moving on, like I said, we we bud June to August, and then we cut the tops off the roses during the winter months, uh, and then and then in the in the spring months, uh, April May, our staff will go through and and uh, sucker and stop the stop the single grow, single shooters. Mm-hmm. Not every grower does that, um, but. Uh, most of the garden centres want three, three plus shoots on, on bush varieties, and we find that if we don't stop, stop the single shooters, that we would, no, we wouldn't struggle to, to manage that. And then we, we uh, start lifting in September, and we lift from September to January, and at the, at the same time we start, uh, we, we gr- we're obviously grinding, grinding from. September right through into April, and we're potting September to May. So basically, we're we're we got lots of cold stores, and we're having to we're having to batch batch roses to to not give give you good fresh stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, very early on, we didn't have the cold stores. We had to we potted everything at the uh, more or less, nearly everything was grayed and potted very not by February, March. But then we uh, got to the summer; everything came and flowered all at once, and that, and and that, uh, and then then we had plants that which the garden centres didn't want. So we're we're now with the with the cold stores and with the batch, and we're just trying to continually have a, a batch fresh, ready for for yourselves uh, most of the ground season. Yeah, indeed, and that makes, means our gardeners and uh, well, our customers have uh, you know a plentiful supply of variety through the season, which is great news. Um, James, we we talk about roses, we talk about the way they grow, and of course, a lot, obviously, most roses are grafted. Perhaps you yeah. could just basically explain that process because it's quite specific, isn't it, to the way roses are grown? Well, yeah, well, our, our roses are, are grafted. We 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 we, we call it. We call it budding. So, 
So basically, that's t uh, we, we the root the root stocks we we plant are stocks which we 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 buy in mostly well that, that all, actually all from Europe now. And basically, there's a there's a the stocks we buy are, are laxer stocks which are uh, run or have so the sap runs from now till middle of August. If we if we wanted to bud into September, we we, we would have to use like maybe multi-floor stocks which where the, the sap runs runs longer uh, in, in, into September. So uh, so basically soon so basically soon as you can see a rose bush. Uh, putting on a nice big fat bud, uh, breaking into colour, and you can you can then cut cut that uh, stem, and if it show if it show white white pith where where you cut, that 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 tells you that's ripe, and basically we we deleaf it, we dethorn it, and basically where the where the uh, leaf is cut, we we cut we we take away the we cut we cut that off the stem and as a and remove the piece of bark and then we we tea, tea bud that into the briars into, into the rootstocks right so the, the tea bud is the is the significant bit there now once that's done um i mean that obviously is, is that a two-person operation if you're if you're grafting those in the in the field i i, I do seem to remember seeing pictures of people working in pairs uh, how does that logistically done on at uh, the nursery Oh, that's correct. You know, then you've got your, you've got the the, the man uh, the, the putting the bird in, and then you've got his partner who'll come along putting a putting a patch over, which will uh, a callus over within weeks, and then the, then the, then that patch just perish and and wears off, and then uh, the, the bird flourishes from there, uh, and and also the yeah. Obviously, the other chap is, is, is help helping and just basically keep keeping the bird a button. And we, we've got people now uh, who, who like, go all, all around the world, but mm -hmm. and, and then and they come they come uh, they come to Europe for this time of year, uh, and then in the winter months you know, they'll, they'll find find a way down to Australia and New Zealand normally. Obviously, this year they had problems. Yeah, so they they follow the roses basically, don't they, around around the globe. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so on on that score, when I was going back a few years, um, certainly when I first went into gardening, we were always told when we bought a rose that we should always keep the rose bud sort of proud of the soil, keep it exposed. So I suspect now we've got new rose um, uh, uh, cyan wood uh, and uh, obviously new rootstocks. That that advice is somewhat different. Am I am I right in thinking? No, no, that's, that's still a that's still something which I I would I would continue to do. If you if you if you grow from cotton, that's a different story, and you can plant them deeper. But uh, no, you you basically you you want you want the stock just just proud of the surface of the soil basically okay that's that's very interesting that sort of conflicts with i know one of well, there's a couple of other growers who say that you should just slightly bury them so i don't know I, I'll, I'll believe you james in this instance because that's what i was taught at college yeah. where, where you are in the world um 
if you're if you're in Poland somewhere like that and Germany, right, where you get a lot more severe temperatures, then you, you would probably go go deeper. But mm-hmm. uh, no, no, we 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 we're not happy if our cotton is just just the union just on the surface. Right, that's good. Thanks for the the clarification there. That's really good. So yeah, so that's that's the process, and uh, I know we we take in a lot of your uh, your well, your bare root stock in uh, October, which we we pot up and we sell them as root rat roses, um, which will obviously prove very very popular these days. And it's good to see that we can obviously offer them in the in the gardening trade, and the, they are available. And then of course the the potted ones generally take over in the in the spring. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've looked at the sort of production side of, of things. So I think what sort of essential advice would you be giving to anybody who's thinking about perhaps growing roses for the first time? You want to make sure you're, you were talking about putting in a garden, are we? Yeah, indeed. We're talking about, yeah, garden situation. So, a, you know, a young couple, first garden, um, they're thinking about sort of setting, they, you know, they've got a limited budget, but they've got some, some money available to put some roses in. What sort of advice would you be giving them perhaps to, to get the best possible start? Well, a good, a good, uh, a good site. I would not not under any tree. <laughs> okay. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, and, and basically, a, a good, a good, well uh, event, a lighted site. So where, or preferably, you don't you don't want to be uh, north, north facing. Ideally, no. But uh, you basically where, where at least where you will get. A, a decent amount of the sun all, all day all day long. You don't. Uh, that's not essential to get sun all day long, but obviously that does help. Mm-hmm. So and then, you, then you obviously want want a good site and also uh, a good um, a good decent soil and uh, also you, you need you, you need to put some well rotted compost or or manure or something something for soil reta- um, moisture retention. Mm-hmm. To really, to really give the give the rose something to work on to start with. If that's getting, I'll get once the rose established, that that off, off a go. But you you do have to you do have to as with all shrubs, you you have to look after them for a while. Don't you? you do indeed. Yep. Just one point, uh, sort of a good soaking before it's planted. So when it's still in the pot, good soaking, and um, before you actually start to plant it. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. As far as for people in the opposite end of the spectrum who've got lots of roses and they want to grow roses where they've perhaps removed a rose bush or maybe a climber, which has been there for for donkey's years. I mean, I know roses are pretty long-lasting plants. I know, you know many of our customers at the garden centre here, you know, have had them in for twenty, thirty years. But they always ask that question: Can I plant a rose where a rose has has possibly died? What's your thoughts on on that? I would, I would not. Uh, I'm looking at Joe who's in the marks, and I'm not sure that that's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, and I, and I get the rose enthusiast, you know, and I guess I'll come across them as well, who desperately want that's the, that's the perfect location. They want another rose in there. So I have known people to change the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that, if that, that, that desperate to use that, that position. But you think you need, you need you know, uh, a, a rose, as we find with our our fields. You know that you know that once we, we once we've sort of been uh, growing a rose in the field for two years, 
we do not want to go back to that field for 10 years because basically that, the, the, the rules take take something out of the soil and that, that, that needs time to recover. Right. So basically, if you if you if you go on if you go on to replant and try and change your soil and then then you definitely have to put a lot of um, a good lot of uh, manure or, or compost in and mulch it, ready feed it, look after it. Yep, yep. No, that's uh, that's very true. Um, on the same sort of preface, then, if you are a, you know if you've got a, you're really into your roses or you you're starting to grow them for the first time. Sort of pruning times. Now, I was always taught at college when you got to the end of the year, whatever rose you grow, uh, you, you cut it back by by half to stop the, the wind rocking it around. Well, even today, uh, as we're recording this podcast, the wind's howling around. So, is there a, is there a good time to prune? Perhaps at the beginning of the year. When would you when do you, would you suggest for for uh, for growers to to be thinking in their gardens to be getting the secateurs out? Your college days are, are right to a point that you know, once once the flowering is finished, that that, that helps because that, that helps just to take, basically just take the top the top off, but uh, but basically just take the flowering flowering heads off. Mm-hmm. But the, the prune and I think I think this year I actually pruned my my roses at home in uh, last week in January, but that is. That is, with an with an eye to the weather. If I if I knew there was a, a, a really bad February coming up, then 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 I would wait wait until until the the weather had uh, improved a bit. But it's basically any time from the end of January through to early March, I would prune roses. And would that be your sort of your, your HTs, your your cluster flowered roses, or would would that include your, your climbers as, as well? With climber with climber roses, you. Well, yeah, you you prune all roses, but with with climbing roses, you you're not pruning them hard back like you or, or back. You you're you can't decide what what you want from it and and, and how how vigorous you want it to be. So you you're, you're basically prune you're pruning it to to what basically to what you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with climbers, you tend to have them around uh, an arbor or a, up a pergola, perhaps, or a, up a trellis work, don't you? On the on the, the aspects of feeding um, your plants, so again, lots of different products on the market now to to, to feed our roses. Some of them very specific to roses, um, but what again? How often would you would you be feeding your roses? I mean, commercially, I suspect they they do get a feed in the field. Uh, but uh, what would you suggest for for, for gardeners to, to get the best from their roses as far as uh, as giving them a feed? Well, actually, on on the nursery, we use a product which can also be used by the home gardener. Mm-hmm. It's um it's called Uncle Tom's tonic. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I have to say no. It's not one I've come across. To be honest with you, so learn something new every day, uh, Joe. <laughs> it's um it's basically potassium phosphate. So it, it's organic, mm-hmm. um, and we use it as a foliar feed. Okay. And what we find is that it, it, it toughens the foliage up. It doesn't have much nitrogen in it, so it doesn't encourage a lot of lush growth, mm-hmm. but it encourages the growth that there is to be, to be tough, which helps keep sort of uh, nasty um, diseases that can come along out. So, 
so that's something that we use regularly in the nursery and yeah so that would would that then help to deter things like mildew and, and black spot if you're growing the, the plants a lot tougher uh, not giving them as much nitrogen i suppose uh that yeah yeah okay that's that's uh, it useful. Sources, um yeah work, works in that way to, well like as a as a as if we were to have a tonic, it gives us a moniker. <laughs> it does indeed, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, so, um, yeah, so we use that on the nursery um, regularly. Right, okay. And I suppose that is foliar action as well, which, I mean, certainly at the garden centre, we, we do recommend to our customers that you foliar feed, whether they're using a, uh, you know, a seaweed-based type feed or even some of the, the soluble liquid fertilisers like uh, yeah. phosphogen and miracle Grow. they sort of will help. Um, it's all about obviously careful timing with those and you obviously we be careful you don't do it, do it when the plants are in in bloom um yeah one question which a lot of people do ask is when is a is, is the best time to to move a rose now the practicalities of people moving house usually is obviously there's never a good time to move move houses as, as we all know but um for your roses is, is there a, bit, a more practical time to, to actually lift them that's not something i, I would recommend but if you're going to do it, um, end of October, November. Okay. But basically, you're, give, you're, you're given a, a, a dormancy period, but you're also given it five five months of like guaranteed moisture, and so you're, you're given given it a good sort of rest before. But if you if you move it in the spring, you're you're, you're asking it to basically start start work, um, and it's not always ready to start work. Yeah, so that's, that's 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 basically. I I I I would say like with your with your your customers with their roses. I'd imagine most most of them are buying them in in the to to, to to plant during that time. I guess they are. We we do try and sort of promote that as a as a good move as well. But uh, you're quite right. If you if, especially in view of the spring we've we've just experienced, um, it's not been very good to establish anything at all. Um, the other question as well is um, you know. You know why? Uh, why are roses grafted? I mean, we, we were talking right at the beginning of the program about the podcast about that, but and, and not grown from cuttings. I mean, for, for you guys, if they could be grown from cuttings, it would probably be a lot easier. I I think. Am, am I wrong? I think for for uh, for us, burden is is the right thing to do, and and, and you you have to be a better. I think in this day and age. A nursery has to be a specialist, and if you you cannot do do budden and cuttings at the we 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 find we can't do buttons and cuttings at the same time. Uh, the cuttings are, are done really really well in Holland, and and you know but they've got uh, robots and what have you all, mm-hmm. and then it's like mono crops and that they 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 they, they do well. But we no we we're, we're doing budden we're we're and budded crops and we're I'm in for sort of for a, a more robust plant, you know. So basically, you, you've got to get longevity out of a budded rose, which I can't guarantee you've got to get out of a, out of a cutting rose, and they're not a lot more reliable. Yep, so that's what I would one of the main points I would come across in that way, you, Joe. Yeah, agree. Yeah, no, that's that's good. So, yeah, grafting is. I mean, also you you you've got control over the varieties. I suppose some varieties as well, as we know, um, just wouldn't grow well from cuttings. They just wouldn't produce a strong enough root system. So they need the the umph of a, a decent rootstock to to support that top growth. Um, 
as, uh, as as many some of the varieties can be a little bit as we know quite quite tricky um perhaps a question to both of you actually you know what tips would you give to to growing roses in containers because obviously we sell an awful lot of more compact varieties of of patio rose now um any thoughts on on um on getting the best from from pots of, of roses well patio roses do naturally present themselves well in pots because they're nice and compact um, but there's also floribundas and hybrid tea that can grow in pots. And actually, there's there's uh, special patio climbers as well that will grow in a pot and get up to about, what, six foot. Um, I think the most important thing is to get as big a pot as possible. Because to keep the rose looking good, um, you need to keep it you know well watered. Um, and obviously, the bigger the pot, the easier it is to do that. So I think, I think yeah, it's it get as big a pot as possible and, you know, choose a variety that if it's not a patio rose, then it's a, you know, a nice compact growing variety just because it'll look neater really as well in the pot. Indeed. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's good there. Um, we did have a, a question from one of our listeners actually and, um, and it was about obviously the, the issues of... Um, of black spot and they still get a lot of problems with it um and is there anything else they can do other than spraying them um the the the, uh, the person also said that they also liquid feed and but they wondered if there was a better way of of feeding them to to get uh, better improved condi- growing conditions especially this year with the, the very wet weather um obviously you, i know you mentioned a product a bit early but what is there any other ways to to get the, the plants in a healthier sort of mindset for for the rest of this summer with with rust, sometimes that do, that does attack certain varieties, and you, you find find the more sort of the glossy leaved, uh, modern more modern varieties are, are less prone to to rust attacks. Um, me, if I if I get rust at home in my garden, I'll uh, I would I'll clean up well round the um, base of the plant in the um, in the autumn, uh, uh, winter, and get get rid of all get rid of all the, the leaves and everything, and uh, and then you use a like a disin, dis, disinfectant. Now we now here we we're, we're using some industrial type disinfectants, and I'll clean clean everything down after after uh, anything we do. But uh, I, I, I tell them I use dilute dry fluid. That's what I mm-hmm. um, and then. But, Basically, you want the, the 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 plant. The rust will will do well in warm, wet weather. So, good good pruning sometimes help. If you if you've got a rose where the the, the centre of the the rose is is absolutely packed, sometimes just to cut cut a shoot out of there to to allow for more airflow around there is also a, is helpful. And uh, and and then obviously once you've cleaned it up. Uh, but disinfected it, and then 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 a good mulch, and then just oh, that's obviously that's obviously lacking in in something so that doesn't that, that, and then uh, probably probably potash, and then 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 need good good feed. Yeah, no, that sounds a good plan of of action. Um, certainly, I mean, obviously the products, sorts of like uh, Rose Clear Ultra and such like, obviously are sort of three pronged in their 
effect, aren't they? And we obviously we, we tend to encourage customers to to spray regularly. You know, from once the plants break leaf in the spring, and obviously on a regular sort of three or four week uh, sort of spraying program to to keep on top, especially if if, if black spot and mildew is an issue. And of course, this year, of course, aphids have been a a real problem because of the the very cold start to the spring, and then obviously the very wet May. Um, so, like all sort of podcasts, we'd like to try and get our guests to give us a little bit of an insight of uh, of what's going on in the gardening trade. So, what do you think people are looking for at the moment in, in selecting roses? And as we, as we know, we, we've had issues, obviously, through the pandemic over the last year and a half of supply. But what, what thoughts do you have of what people are looking for at the moment in, in, in roses? When it comes to colour, sort of purples are quite popular. Um, vibrant colours, they're you know that they're, they're always popular. Gift gift varieties remain popular. Mm-hmm. Um, people still looking for those. A lot of people looking for perhaps more shrubby, informal style roses that are um, lend themselves more to mixed planting. So perhaps not sort of moving away from a formal rose bed, more towards a you know mixed sort of cottage gardeny look. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, climbers have gone really well this year. So, so whether that's because people have spent more time in their gardens and, you know, they're looking, you know, they, 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 they fill the garden, but they've perhaps not covered all their fences and walls. Mm-hmm. Um, but climbing roses have been popular. And fragrance remains, you know, not always a popular feature. But for sure, I've, I've been growing, I think you, you introduced uh, your timeless uh, roses a couple of years ago. And I planted a few this season and they're just coming into bud and flower now. so the timeless rose is basically a florist rose with not really the it's it's an amazing thing certainly on the on the picture label it's good um can you tell us a little bit about those yeah what they're 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 very fragrant um but and they make good cut flower as well so they sort of yeah you know extra good value i mean you can keep them in the garden they're quite happy there but they do make um, yeah good flower, so you can bring them in. If if the bud when the bud's just sort of starting to show colour, if you cut it then bring it bring it indoors, they open up and you can just make really sort of nice informal flower arrangements from them. Mm. Um, and they really will uh, fill a room with with the scent. Just one little tip is just to keep refreshing the water. Of course, mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's um, four, four colours. We've got the, a pink, a purple, a reddy pink, and a, a cream. And uh, yeah, I think people um, just enjoy cutting their own flowers and, and bringing them into the home. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, cut 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 flower and the the cutting uh, patches become sort of becoming quite a trend now in, in in lots of people's gardens, especially with the cost of flowers in our yeah. uh, florists and uh, supermarkets costing so much. Um, we we talked. We, you mentioned scent there. Um, could again, could I put you on the spot? And I know, I know that fragrance can be incredibly uh, subjective, but. Um, yeah. What what do you think you know as far as Wharton roses and uh, roses in general? What what's your sort of top of the of the uh, the fragrant uh, pop charts? Well, we've had much discussion over this. Um, <laughs> so we we think our, our our top five in no particular order. We've got uh, timeless purple that we've just been talking about. Okay, Arthur Bell, mm. which is a real um, real classic yellow. Lovely, Florabunda. Um, Scent from Heaven, which okay. is uh, a climber, and yeah, as its name implies, we've got great scent. 
special anniversary. Okay. Uh, which is lovely pink HT. That's got an amazing scent. And fragrant cloud. Right. Very traditional variety. It is. Uh, it does have an amazing scent. It perhaps has other other challenges in that you do need to look after it. But yeah, it, it does have an amazing fragrance it? and um, can't get, get, get away away from that. But just, if I can, just touching on the, the fragrance, because fragrance and roses is, you know, is, is quite a feature. But what, what we are always keen to get across is that there's some fantastic newer varieties that might not have a sort of a knocky socks off fragrance, but they make great garden plants and mm-hmm. just flower for such long length of time. You mustn't sort of set them aside just because Oh, no, 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 I, I can't agree. <laughs> yeah. So no. could, we, could we put some names on some of those, those varieties, Joe? Yeah, we've just introduced um, uh, a range called the Precious Range. So we've got Gold, Amber, Love and Ruby. And they will flower from May through to the sort of first hard frosts of sort of mid to late October. And... I, and they just flower and flower, and I don't think there's a lot of uh, shrubs that would would sort of compare to that kind of performance. No, no, no. So, um, very, very healthy too. Good, good plant health then. So good, good uh, disease resistance. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I should probably because I always think it, it, should, it doesn't exactly go without saying. But when we're trialing our roses, that is the key thing we're looking for is disease resistance. Yeah. Because we think that, you know, that that is the key to them performing in people's gardens. So that is one of the, and we wouldn't introduce something if we thought there was a, you know, a weakness there. So that's one of the key things um, that we're looking for when we're, we're bringing in roses to trial is that, is right. that sort of disease resistance. So as you probably know, on, on the, some of the questions we like to, to pose, the desert, desert island question has to come up. So um, do you have either, you know, both of you a suggestion for a rose you, you could enjoy in your, if you're ever stranded on a, a desert island and uh, perhaps which rose or roses would you would you like to grow? Well, for myself, um, I, 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 to, to, I've got two or three. Uh, the scent from heaven, what you just mentioned, that's... <laughs> That's an orange climber, and I, I, I think that's just got a fantastic name. You know, the, mm. whoever thought that, the Noddy definitely definitely needs a slap on the back because that's, <laughs> that's just that just it's just a perfect description, and uh, that's, a, that's a very very healthy. That's not, not many evergreen all all through the winter, and uh, and that's a that's a beautiful orange center center climber, absolutely gorgeous. But every Every year, I I seem to change what I like to, to, because I, I, when I sort of see, see things changing in the field. Two, two years ago, I, I liked uh, a, a whiter shade of pale, uh, that's a light that's a light pink HT, and and, that, and that's, that's a beautiful plant when I saw it. But last year, the, the variety called Queen Bee, which is an amber flora bunda, caught my eye, and that and that and that was definitely the top performer in on our fields last year. Okay, I think some good, good, good names. Yeah. I have to investigate uh, those uh, those last two varieties, James. They sound yeah. really good. Not being one hundred percent politically correct here, I, I I do like David Austin's Gertrude Jekyll. 
<laughs> that's a good old rose, but that's, that's yeah. old. I know we don't grow it, and Joe, Joe look I've at me. I've just fallen off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed. Okay. Uh, so that, well, that's, that's a old traditional rose, but that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's a lovely scented rose. It is. It makes it makes a fine set, and you know, as we always say, other rose growers are available. So we're we're we we want to be all inclusive on the, on this podcast. So that's that's good. And and you, Joe, have you got a, a desert island rose favourite? Well, I have chosen flower carpet pink. It's the classic flower carpet shade, and I've really chosen that because I know it would grow probably on a desert island. Okay. Because um, you can you can just you know it it stop yeah. Bonhardy, cast iron, it's going to perform mm. wherever it is, and for a long time as well. So, and it repeat flowers and repeat flowers, and yeah, so yeah. flower cut, and it doesn't need any pruning nope. uh, or fancy pruning. So, um, I've not got my secretaries with me on the desert island. So, no <laughs> so um, yeah, flower carpet pinks me. Oh, they're, they're great choices. Yeah, so no, and uh, no, they're, they're, they're perfect. Okay, um, the Hampton Court Flower Show is gone um, for another year. Um, obviously, it didn't happen last year, and obviously, Hampton Court's famous for for many things. Uh, it's one of the one of the best uh, summer flowering uh, summer flowering shows, really, is in every sense of the word. Wonderful gardens and fantastic marquees. But something happens in one of the marquees, which a few years ago I was I was able to witness on one of the press days, and that's a rose christening. So, um, could you perhaps spill the beans? for the Rose of the Year 2022? Yes, it is. It's a wonderful life. Oh, great. Oh. Yeah, it's a lovely uh, peachy, peachy-coloured florabunda. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, it, it goes darker the warmer it is, so it, it, it really is sort of a lovely peachy uh, blend um, mm-hmm. to it and was uh, bred by Dixon, the um, Irish rose breeder. Okay. Uh, yes, it's a wonderful life and a lovely name as well. Yes, I th- yeah, that's no, it's perfect. Oh, that's really, really good to hear. So that's something we can look out for. Um, well, we'll look out for later on this year. Yeah, this autumn will be the first time it's available. Yeah, yeah as a as a bare root plant, which I'm sure you'll be. Stocking. Indeed, yes, we, we hope to, and I'm sure it'll be appearing in, in many garden centres up and down the country. Uh, and and further afield, hopefully, uh, from from uh, from. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's always it's always a a, a keenly anticipated yeah. uh, event onto the road of the year. So yeah, yeah no, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful life. Yes. Well, yeah. it's been a, a wonderful chat with both uh, James Taylor from uh, Wharton's and Joe Davy. Thank you both very much for your your time today, and thank you for yeah. inspiring us with all things roses. Thank you, Chris, very much indeed. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow, that was an interesting interview, wasn't it, Chris? It was indeed, Peter. Yeah, covered an awful lot of ground, and my word, there's a lot to growing good old humble rose, isn't there? Isn't there, Justin? James mentioned something there called Rose of the Year. Mm. Can you talk talk us through what that is a bit more, Chris? Yeah, indeed. So Rose of the Year was started back in 1982, and it's really about promoting the rose, uh, promoting a variety of rose, which is representative of the rose industry. And uh, the first one, which had the accolade, was Rose Mountbatten, uh, named okay. after, um, obviously, uh, Mountbatten. And it was a wonderful, if I remember rightly, it was a, a wonderful yellow rose, uh, a hybrid tea, um, a stunning rose. And then every, every year since we've had one, obviously, uh, amalgamating to, to this year. But yes, yeah, Sent From Heaven was Rose of the Year back in 2017. And this year's uh, Rose of the Year is Belle de Jour, 
uh, yep. which uh, we which we actually stopped at the garden centre here, and I'm I'm sure if you go out and about in garden centres, you will see it's in pots, and it's a, a nice worthy winner, wonderful double um, sort of yellow with a sort of pink edge to it. Lots of fragrance, an incredible amount of fragrance. And uh, yeah, it's good that the Rose of the Year exists because I think it's a really good advertisement for the rose industry, but more to the point to bring that the best of what the growers are producing, you know, around around the world, around in Europe as well as the UK. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about sort of some of the features of roses. You kindly bought in this... Um selection of three you know, three roses that you cut from your garden today and mm. it's just sat here a, a lovely waft of uh, smell of roses just it drifting did. over to me all the time now and so talk us through these three that you've brought us in today chris right so the one which uh has been a rose of the year that's uh, a few years ago actually um that came about i think it was like 2010 Yep. And that uh, had that accolade of that particular year. And I'm just racking my brains. Yeah, and the variety is Belle de Jour, which uh, is a lovely one. Yeah, a real double. Yes, it's, it's really a compact flower there, isn't it? With masses of petals in it. Yeah. And, um, and uh, good fragrance too. Good, good, quite a quite a nice sort of typical um, fruity sort of flavour of, of of spices, I suppose is how you do describe rose. And I know you have certain sub, certain terminology. I think myrrh is one of the, the things they often put into it to rose um, smells as well, isn't it? There's okay. a lot of, yeah, lots of terminology there. Because the pink one that you've bought us in now, that's. I think you, when you bought it, it was Paul Smith, and now it's Sir Paul Smith. It's, it's, it's got a knighthood, yes, literally in a few hours. Yes. <laughs> He's been knighted now. It did, so yes. Tell us a bit about the story of that one, because, I mean, the aroma of that is it's lovely and sweet, and mm. what I, I would sort of instantly know is the smell of a rose. Indeed, and that's probably what was I was drawn to it when I saw it in a, in a garden a few years ago, and then I saw we were selling it. It's actually a Peter Beals introduction, so, okay. so it's one to look out for from uh, from his stable. Because he was a rose breeder from the, I'm going to say, 60s, 70s, wasn't yes, he? Yes, that's right, yes. In that, and that's he had period. his own nursery yeah. over Cambridge Way, I think. Uh, I think it? it's actually just down the road from where uh, Wharton's roses are about. I think they were in Norfolk, if memory serves me correctly, in okay. that neck of the woods which is interesting in itself isn't it so yep. obviously the soil is East rather Anglia good must be the place to grow roses indeed yes um but yes sir paul smith um and the the story is that it was um gifted by his wife um lady smith Excellent. as a birthday present now i mean oh, how nice that's rather nice isn't it yeah and uh, i think it's it's got all the, the sort of color and integrity obviously paul smith well known for his amazing designs and i think the, as a designer rose it certainly sits in quite comfortably and of course if you have a look at paul smith rose perfume then there is other there's plenty of those on the market too so it's uh, obviously a brand in itself yeah because yeah. uh, I, I know um, when i got married I was very one of one of my ushers kindly gave me um, or gave us uh, all us and the, the ushers and grooms um, ties for the occasion, and they oh. were Paul Smith ties. And surprisingly, they have a pink rose on them. There you go. So yes, he was obviously inspired by his present from his wife. Indeed, that's great. That's a great story too. Yeah. So yeah, and they say surely when you're choosing a rose, it is all about fragrance. That this time of year, when you you're having a walk around rose gardens or you're out and about in the garden centre. Get your nose close to those blooms, yes. Without a doubt, because yes. yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think that's the crucial thing. At this time of the year, obviously, roses are, mm-hmm. like you say, sort of in flower, and mm-hmm. it's such a great time to be buying roses. Most definitely, yeah. You get to see the whole package, as they say. 
Yes, indeed. And, you know, we do live in a bit of a dream factory in the garden centre world, which is so good. We know we rely on lovely colour picture labels when plants are not doing their thing. But at this time of the year, when they're actually in full flow, in full bloom, then yes, uh, no, no better way of choosing a rose for your, for your garden or, or, or two. Yeah, and just thinking a bit more about sort of going around the garden, uh, rose gardens, I mean, there's obviously various different sort of forms of the mm. traditional rose garden. I mean, my archetypal image of a rose garden is a very sort of uniform, regimented design. Yeah, There's yeah. lots of rectangles and possibly a circle yeah. or two or a diagonal and a yeah. um, bit of grass in A few between. standard roses, maybe. Yeah, so standard roses yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. everything swept up and nice mm. and clean, which obviously helps keep the rust at bay. Of course. And nice open sort mm. of spaces in between the roses so that they get lots of good air movement. Mm -hmm. And generally... Yeah, uh, not shaded by trees <laughs> so, lots of sunshine uh, yes uh, but can you think of any sort of outstanding rose gardens that maybe yes. our listeners could go and yeah. visit if they're close to them yeah there, i mean there are one or two i mean obviously the, the notable ones are if you go to any of the rhs gardens like wisley uh, yep. hyde hall obviously you go up to the new uh, bridgewater gardens uh, near manchester obviously okay. they've just recently opened and they've got a, they've got plenty of roses on. Um, I noticed on arbors and on uh, columns. Right. Um, of course, Kiffsgate. Okay. Uh, famous, uh, obviously, in the Cotswolds for the Kiffsgate rose. Yeah. And that's the home of that. I know we we took a party of uh, our garden centre customers there a few years ago, and they thoroughly enjoyed seeing Kiffsgate in its full glory in early July. So a good time to go and see it then. And then local, yeah, local to the garden centre here, we've got obviously like Blenheim Palace uh, over near Woodstock. Uh, which is particularly good. They've got nice rose gardens. And actually, thinking about it, good old Wadston Manor has a nice rose garden too. So plenty to be had there. But there is a, a really good uh, facility on one of the websites, which we'll put a link to on our uh, podcast show notes uh, to guide you to, I think it's about 50 of the top uh, rose gardens in in, uh, in Britain. So plenty of ideas there. But of course, if you're travelling worldwide, then yeah, look out for roses on your, on your travels because uh, you will come across some fabulous rose gardens in you know Australia, obviously America, Canada, Italy, you know all the far flung places. Uh, people just love the the English rose. Excellent. And maybe you know, we could call for another hashtag there, Chris. Um, so. If yeah. any of our international listeners now, I know we've yeah. got a few Canadians and a few Americans Indeed. already listening yeah. to the show, yeah. which yeah. Yeah. is uh, so pleased to see on our yeah. sort of world map of where people are listening. Yeah. Shall we, shall, shall we call it hashtag more roses? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag more roses. And yeah. See if um, any of our listeners can spot a nice rose or a Indeed. nice rose garden. Indeed. That'd be great. So just thinking about the rose, Chris, I mean, uh, we, we've covered the fact that obviously they've got beautiful perfume and um, interesting fact I learned recently was um, it takes about half a million flowers mm -hmm. to make a ton of um, rose petals. Wow. And then it takes, depending on the variety of rose you've got, about four to five tons of rose petals Gosh. to make one litre of essential oil. Mm. So that's a lot of rose picking, it is, isn't indeed, it? Indeed, yes. Yeah, and of course, we, we tend to think of roses within the, 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 the garden, but of course they have a, a use, as we say, for, for food. Um, rose wine. Um, is, rose is a, wine, yeah. yeah and ro well, rose hip wine. Rose hip wine. I, I, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, the other, yeah, rose hip wine and um, rose vinegar and mm -hmm. rose, rose hip jam and jam. rose jam and... Yeah. Um, a favourite that I can remember from my 
childhood Turkish Delights. Of course, yes, Turkish Delights. Which I think has rose water in, which yeah. is also used from memory as a, like a skin tonic. I think okay. it was good for, or purportedly good for um, eczema and um, sort of skin irritations. Right. Which I, I, I find quite interesting because I, I also remember... As a little boy, as a prank, we used to pick rose hips because we were told that that was what made itching powder. Okay. And you'd crush the, the rose hip up and chuck it down your friend's back, sort of shirt neck, and then give it a good rub. And I, I, like I say, I find it interesting because obviously rose oil or rose water is a calming thing. So maybe it was the ends of the rose hip the sort of jaggedy new sharp petally bit the remnants of the petals which was the thing that irritated you but oh gosh yes that's that's uh, yeah um i know i know another little fact as well um roses are actually form as we know uh thorns yep. yes but they're not actually thorns they are um the, the term uh, is a uh, prickle, which is a slightly different term as far as the the way the thorn is is made. Okay, um, it's a little bit like I'm sure many of our listeners know about uh, cacti produce obviously cacti spikes. Yeah, but those evolutionary were the leaves which folded up. So and they folded up so really? tightly because if you think where cacti are, they're in the hot desert. They transpire. They lose a lot of moisture from their leaves. So over evolution. Those uh, those thought those basically the leaves have turned. turned into spikes. Yeah, so I wonder with the rose is that the same thing? They carried more leaves at one point, and that might explain why they were found far afield over in China, in Persia, in, in lots of areas of the of, of the, the globe where yeah. perhaps they had to adapt to the conditions, and that's maybe why some varieties are more thorny than others. Excellent! I never knew that. Thanks for that, Chris. It's all right. And another, I think it was a Victorian remedy, uh, I'll say, from roses, was obviously cough syrup. Um, So you get some rose petals, steep them in honey, and then potentially mix them with some rosehip wine. And um, that formed a cough syrup, because um, the wine obviously is, from memory, it's a very slow maturing wine. It's not one that you can make and drink that year. It needs several years to mature and once you say it has matured it can be a very very nice wine and just thinking sort of things that take a while to mature and obviously relaxing and um getting older in life as some of us are um after a hard day in the garden something that can be really nice is a bath with lots of rose petals Mm. in and a bit of epsom salts which helps you sort of scrub off all the mud from your digging and <laughs> relax and wind down after a hard day in the garden. So with August um, a couple of weeks away now, um, we, we hope you'd like to join us in a couple of Wednesdays' time for us to discuss what tips we can come up with for August. Have we got any thoughts yet, Chris? Yeah, I think we're going to do a little bit on uh, on propagation because it's the month for, for, for making more of your plants and, okay. may, and maybe looking at what you're going to do with your harvest. Hopefully we're going to be into a bumper harvest season then, so a few ideas there. Excellent. And yeah, because you know, just thinking of being, uh, sort of my runner beans should be in full crop by then so yeah. hopefully i can share uh, with you some um runner bead tapenade which is um very similar to a hummus in texture but made out of runner beans that sounds good nice little thing to dip breadsticks into and hopefully it'll be nice and sunny and um, we'll be able to get out in the garden and enjoy relaxing a bit more indeed and enjoying our roses as well
Excellent. Okay, well, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.